This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of bias from the stats section on MedBullets.com. Bias is defined as a systematic error in collecting or interpreting observations found in a study design. Now, let's go over the different types of bias. Starting with the accumulation effect, patients sometimes must be exposed to a risk factor for a prolonged period of time before they develop a clinically detectable result. For example, patients must smoke for many pack years before bronchogenic carcinoma develops. Mitigation of the accumulation effect is trying to follow study participants for as long as is feasible. Moving on to confounding, this is a third factor that is either positively or negatively associated with both the exposure and the outcome. Remember that confounders are not in the causal pathway. If confounders are not adjusted for, they can distort true association either towards or away from the null hypothesis. In terms of mitigating confounding, there are several strategies. Randomization, matching, stratification, restriction, adjustment, and crossover studies. In randomization, this ensures similar baseline characteristics between control and exposure slash experimental groups. You will use the intention to treat analysis to preserve randomization even if participants change study treatments. Matching is when you group similar participants into study pairs. Stratification is when you analyze in separate subgroups determined by a potential confounder. Restriction is only including groups with specific features in the sample. Adjustment means you can only adjust for confounders that are known and measurable. Finally, in crossover studies, subjects act as their own controls. Moving on to selection bias, This means a sampled population is not representative of the population researchers are trying to study. This can be due to non-random selection of study participants, sampling or ascertainment bias in which certain individuals are more or less likely to be selected for a study group, leading to incorrect conclusions, a non-response bias, for example, participants who pick up the phone may be less sick than participants who don't, the healthy worker effect, which is samples with employed subjects only may be healthier, a volunteer bias in which people who volunteer for a study may be different in some fundamental way from those who do not volunteer, a late-look bias is patients with severe disease that are less likely to be studied because they die or are otherwise unavailable, making a disease look less severe. For example, a group of HIV-positive individuals are all asymptomatic. Also, the late-look bias can have the opposite effect. For example, people with more mild disease are cured before the study takes place and only persistently sick folks are included in the study, making a disease seem more severe. A Berkson bias is when hospitalized study subjects are more likely to have a greater burden of illness than other possible subjects. Finally, an attrition bias is those lost to follow-up may be different from those who remain in the study. Selection bias can be mitigated through randomization. Include patients in multiple settings, such as outpatient and hospitalized. Try to execute study designs that are longitudinal in nature rather than cross-sectional. And gather maximal information on participants. Moving on to measurement bias. Information is gathered in a way that distorts the information or misclassifies study participants. So the interviewer bias is when subjects in one group are interviewed in a different way than another. Differences due to interviewing style discrepancies are falsely attributed to group differences. Mitigation of measurement bias is to standardize data collection. Moving on to recall bias, subjects with the disease are more likely to recall the exposure of interest. For example, parents of children with cancer recall exposure to a chemical. Mitigation of recall bias includes reducing follow-up time in retrospective studies.
Moving on to performance bias, this refers to researchers treating groups differently or subjects altering their behavior slash responses due to study group awareness. So the Hawthorne effect is when subjects alter their behavior when they know they are being studied. Procedure bias is when the researcher decides assignment of treatment versus control and assigns particular patients to one group or the other non-randomly. Procedure bias can also take place when the patient decides assignment of treatment versus control. Performance bias can be mitigated through blinding. Now let's talk about lead time bias. This is when subjects appear to survive longer when in reality their disease was detected earlier. This is common with improved screening. For example, a cancer screening test is deemed to increase survival when in reality the disease was picked up earlier, increasing the time from detection to death. You can mitigate for lead time bias by using mortality rate instead of survival time in screening studies. You can also estimate lead time and add that to survival in the unscreened group. Moving on to design bias, this is when the control group is inappropriately non-comparable to the intervention group. An allocation bias is the difference in the way participants are placed in control versus experimental groups. For example, all zebras in the control group and all lions in the exposure group. Mitigation for a design bias includes randomization and matching. Now let's talk about cognitive bias. We'll go over observer bias or the Pygmalion effect, confirmation bias, and response bias. Observer bias, or the Pygmalion effect, is when the investigator inadvertently conveys her high expectations to subjects who then produce the expected result. This is otherwise known as a self-fulfilling prophecy. The Gollum effect is the opposite. This is when study subjects decrease their performance to meet low expectations of the investigator. A confirmation bias is when the researcher ignores the results that do not support their hypothesis. Finally, a response bias is when participants do not respond accurately because they are concerned about the social desirability of their responses or misinterpret the question. Cognitive bias can be mitigated through double-blinding or including positive and negative results. Finally, let's talk about surveillance bias. This is when outcomes are more likely to be detected in certain groups because of increased monitoring. For example, a certain skin disease being detected more often in hypertensive patients because they have more physician visits than non-hypertensive patients. In this case, researchers may falsely attribute hypertension to causing the skin disease. A strategy for mitigating surveillance bias includes matching participants on similar likelihood of surveillance. Now let's end this review session talking about examples of effects that are not bias. These include things like effect modification, latent period, and generalizability. Effect modification occurs when a third factor affects the magnitude of the relationship between the exposure and the disease. For example, the increased risk of cancer in smokers is even higher among those who also drink heavily. This is not a type of bias. A latent period is the negative effects of a disease that may take years to become clinically apparent. This is also not a type of bias. Finally, generalizability is the ability to use results from a study to draw conclusions about populations different than that used in the study. This is most problematic for studies that evaluate only a very specific population. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a researcher is studying whether a new knee implant is better than existing alternatives in terms of pain after knee replacement. She designs the study so that it includes all the surgeries performed at a certain hospital. 
Interestingly, she notices that patients who underwent surgeries on Mondays and Thursdays reported much better pain outcomes on a survey compared with those who underwent the same surgeries from the same surgeons on Tuesdays and Fridays. Upon performing further analysis, she discovers that one of the staff members who works on Mondays and Thursdays is aware of the study and tells all the patients about how wonderful the new implant is. Which of the following forms of bias does this most likely represent? And the choices are one, Gollum effect, two, Hawthorne effect, three, Berkson bias, four, Pygmalion effect, and five, attrition bias. The correct answer to this question is four, Pygmalion effect. So the fact that patients who are aware of positive expectations surrounding the new implant perform better than those who are unaware of these expectations is most consistent with the Pygmalion effect. Bias is a systematic error in the way that data is collected or analyzed in experiments. Many types of bias exist, and all of these forms of bias will introduce non-random variation into an experiment such that the results are not reliable. One important form of bias is expectation bias, where either the high or low expectations of an investigator are conveyed to study subjects. High expectations can cause subjects to experience positive results such that the expectations become a self-fulfilling prophecy. This effect is known as the Pygmalion effect. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, the Gollum effect is a form of expectation bias. However, it describes how subjects may decrease performance in response to low expectations. Answer 2, the Hawthorne effect, describes how subjects alter their behavior when they know that they are being studied. In this case, patients will have consented to be studied on all days. The difference is instead due to being aware of expectations. Answer 3, Berkson bias, and answer 5, attrition bias, are both forms of selection bias, which describes how non-random selection of study participants can lead to wrong conclusions. In this case, there is no evidence that participant selection was done improperly. Bergson bias is when cases and or controls are selected from a hospital population as this differs from the general population. Attrition bias occurs when subjects that are lost to follow-up end up having a different prognosis than those who complete the study. So to leave you with the bullet summary, the Pygmalion effect is when an investigator conveys high expectations to subjects who then produce the expected good result. Moving on to the next question. An ophthalmologist is conducting a clinical study to examine the impact of utilizing optical coherence tomography, or OCT, in screening for diabetic retinopathy in a population. Patients at a network of clinics are recruited to the study and randomized to either the intervention or control group. Patients in the intervention group undergo screening at regular intervals with optical coherence tomography in addition to the gold standard of slit lamp microscopy, while patients in the control group undergo screening with slit lamp microscopy only. Clinical records of retinal examination findings are taken at each visit, and measurement of time elapsed between signs of mild diabetic retinopathy to the development of severe diabetic retinopathy is assessed. The researcher finds that time elapsed before progression to severe diabetic retinopathy is about six months longer in patients in the optical coherence tomography screening group compared to patients in the control screening group. Which of the following types of bias is present in this study? And the choices are one, confounding bias, two, lead time bias, three, measurement bias, four, procedure bias, and five, selection bias. The correct answer to this question is 2. Lead time bias. 
So this study that finds an increased time to onset of severe diabetic retinopathy among patients who undergo a novel screening method compared to a traditional screening method exhibits lead time bias, in which early detection of a disease is confused with increased survival time. Lead time bias is a common cause of bias in cases where an improvement in screening is present and subsequently impacts clinical outcomes. Due to earlier detection of initial disease, in this case signs of mild diabetic retinopathy, the time that elapses between detection of initial disease and the development of severe disease, in this case diagnosis of severe diabetic retinopathy, appears to be increased. Using OCT to screen for diabetic retinopathy allows for the direct detection of abnormal retinal findings for example, macular fluid and changes in macular thickness that may provide earlier detection of diabetic retinopathy compared to slit lamp microscopy, which relies on indirect signs of macular disease. Earlier detection of diabetic retinopathy subsequently causes confusion with increased time to progression to severe diabetic retinopathy. A strategy to lessen lead time bias in studies is to adjust the measurement of the survival variable according to the severity of disease at the time of diagnosis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, confounding bias occurs when a variable is related to both the exposure and the outcome, but not the actual causative pathway and subsequently confuses the effect of the exposure on the outcome. For example, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease may be more common in veterans than the general population, but veterans are more likely to have a smoking history than the general population. Answer three, measurement bias occurs when information is gathered in a problematic manner such as when diagnostic tools are faulty or when participants change their behavior, which presumably influences their clinical outcome upon awareness of being observed. This is otherwise known as the Hawthorne effect. Measurement bias was not present in the study detailed in the question. Answer four, procedure bias occurs when subjects in the treatment and control groups are not treated the same. For example, this type of bias would be present if patients in the OCT screening group also receive free consultation with a dietitian for improved management of their diabetes. In this study, patients in the OCT screening and the control group were not treated differently. Finally, answer five, selection bias occurs when there is non-random sampling or treatment allocation of study subjects such that the study population is not representative of the study's targeted population. For example, this type of bias would be present if patients in the OCT screening group were selected from a group of patients who had poorly controlled diabetes. In this study, randomization of patients to the treatment and control groups was performed to avoid selection bias. To leave you with a bullet summary, lead time bias occurs when early detection of a disease is confused with increased survival time. And moving on to the final question, a study is performed to determine whether cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, increases compliance to dietary regimens. In order to test this hypothesis, a random group of volunteers who want to lose weight are selected from the community and subsequently randomized to no intervention and CBT groups. They are asked to record what they ate every day in a food journal, and these recordings are correlated with objective serum and urine biomarkers for food intake. Surprisingly, it was found that even the group with no intervention had much higher rates of compliance to dietary regimens than the general population. Multivariate analysis showed no significant demographic or medical differences between the two groups. Which of the following most likely explains this finding from the study? And the choices are 1. Confounding effect. 2. Hawthorne effect. 3. Procedure bias. 4. Pygmalion effect. And 5. Recall bias. The correct answer to this question is 2. Hawthorne effect. 
So this improvement in patients who received no intervention is most likely explained by the Hawthorne effect, which states that participants will change their behavior when they know that they are watched. Errors in studies due to bias can be divided broadly into three categories, patient selection, study performance, and result interpretation. In this case, the question stem provides that the patients are selected randomly and are then randomized into groups with no significant differences between groups. There's also no reason to suspect, therefore, that any issues arose during the selection process. The question stem does not address the intervention group, nor does it propose any correlation or conclusions. Therefore, it is unlikely that the effect is due to bias in result interpretation. Bias sustained during study performance then consists of recall bias, measurement bias, procedure bias, and observer expectancy bias. Of these, only measurement bias could have occurred because the others are not relevant to this study design. We will further explain this when we go over the incorrect answers. One type of measurement bias is the Hawthorne effect in which subjects change their behavior when they know that they are being observed. In this case, the subjects likely adhered more strictly to their dietary regimen because they knew they had to report it. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, the confounding effect is an error in result interpretation in which a third unmeasured factor accounts for the observed effects. In this case, no conclusions were drawn between groups and no significant differences were noted between groups on multivariate analysis. Answer three, procedure bias is when two groups of subjects in study are treated differently in ways that affect the outcome of the study. Here, the question examines only one group and makes no claim about the relative effect between the two groups. Procedure bias is therefore not applicable. Answer four, the Pygmalion effect is where the researcher's beliefs about the efficacy of an intervention leads to behavioral changes that produce a self-fulfilling prophecy. In this case, the effect was found in the group with no interventions, which would be expected to be similar to the general population. And finally, answer five, recall bias is when subjects with certain outcomes are more likely to remember preceding factors. In this case, the food journal was confirmed using objective markers. To leave you with the bullet summary, bias can be divided into three categories and pertain only when those appear to be compromised in a question. The Hawthorne effect requires that subjects know that they are being studied and changes their behavior due to that knowledge. That's all for this review about bias. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.